Hi, everyone. Welcome to They Had Fun. I'm Rachel, and I'm back with another amazing story about New York City. And as you know, this is our last and final episode of the second season. Time is just flying by. I guess when you're having fun. I didn't think about that. That sounds so cheesy, but it's true. I mean, we've been through like 28 episodes or something like this. So many incredible stories, so many incredible guests. I've just been having a blast and it turns out all of you love hearing stories about New York too and people love telling them. So we're going to keep going. Don't worry about that. Uh, We have a lot to talk about before our episode today, so let's get going on the list. And of course, that is number one, March 1st. We will be back for season three of They Had Fun. We're going to have so many more New York stories. Some of them are over the top. Some of them are great. Some of them I have yet to hear, let's be honest. But season three is going to be a good time. So don't forget, March 1st, mark your calendars. We will be back. And in between then and now, we will release some sort of like special content or outtakes or clips. We're not going to leave you high and dry. We will give you something. But just remember, March 1st, we will be back to you. And very importantly, our next announcement to make, which I am so, so, so fucking excited about, if you can't tell, March 1st, we will be having a season three premiere party at Bar Calico in New York City. You have to come. I mean that sincerely. If you are listening to this, if you are a fan of the podcast, even if you're not a fan of the podcast, I don't know, you don't like the sound of my voice, that's okay. If you like having fun, you should still come. If you love New York City, you should still come. I cannot believe the room we got. The venue is so beautiful and wonderful, and I'm so excited to party with everyone in real life. Bar Calico at the Freehand Hotel. I don't know if you've been, but it's dark, it's moody, it's cocktails, it's all of the, I just love it so much, and I was so lucky to get such a great space there. So everyone, please come out if you are hearing this. I mean it sincerely. We would love to see you. We'll have some past guests. We'll have some future guests. I'll be there. You can meet me in person. Come hang out. Come have a drink. Come have some fun. I don't know. Maybe something wild will happen. Maybe it'll be your most fun night in New York City. You never know. Maybe I'll force you to go to dinner with me afterwards and go get some Szechuan. Okay. March 1st, 6 to 9 p.m. Don't forget to come to Bar Calico at the Freehand Hotel. We'll put up some announcements on Instagram and send out an email and all of that jazz, so we won't let you forget about it. Next up, Rachel's Rex. So as we know, we've been talking about this every week. We're putting up a question on our stories on Fridays asking you what Rex you want. And last week, I tried to answer as many as I could, but I got so many of them, which I love. But I couldn't get to all of them. So here we go. We're going to give you Rachel's Rex. I'm going to start with mine first, and then we're going to go from there. So my first one, I was trying to think, I'm like, I'm always giving out restaurants and bars, which is great. That's what we do a lot in New York. But what is something else I can do? Maybe something a little more very, very, very specific. So have you been to Goods for the Study from McNally Jackson on Mulberry? I love it. It's this little tiny, tiny store, and all they sell is like 10,000 kinds of different pens. And it's just so New York to have a store like that that still exists. I feel like anywhere else in the world, something like that would probably fail. But in New York, something like that can really be great. But they have all of this variety. You can get markers, you can get pens, you can get fancy pens that cost like a hundred something dollars. You can get really cool miniature pencils that cost 25 cents. They just have everything. And it's honestly fun to walk around and try all of them out. I love McNally Jackson. They have another goods for the study store right next door. That's all of their paper products that you can can go in there and look at the journals. It's just such a very specific type of store. And I feel like New York 
offers us places like this, like another one that's like this, not the rec, but just some another place I love, maybe it will be one day, is just bulbs. Like New York City has a store that's only light bulbs. That doesn't happen in other places. Everywhere else you have to go to Home Depot and walk through 47 fucking aisles. Here we have a place that you can just go to and just get light bulbs. And we have another place you can go to and just buy pens. And it's called Goods for the Study and it's on Mulberry Street and I love it and it's so cute. So go check that one out. Okay, on to our listeners request or I guess it would be our followers request. I don't know, but this was on Instagram. This one, I think this is like the second time I've gotten something like this. So what is going on with uh, husbands in New York City? I don't know, but uh, they need some help, I guess. This one was something like a suggestion for a husband who like messed up and wants to make it up to his wife, something like that. It's the second time I've gotten that. So I was saying, I think it would be really easy to be like, oh, throw all the money at the problem, go to a really fancy restaurant, get some champagne. Um, But that's easy. And actually what you want to do in a situation like this after you've really messed up and your wife or maybe significant other or partner, whoever is really mad at you, is you want to show that you put in the thought. You want to show that you put in the care. You didn't just go, oh, let's all go to the fancy spot because it costs $500. So what you want is Vinegar Hill House in Dumbo. So not only is this place charming and cute and on one of those cobblestone streets that, you know, you find in Dumbo and it's off sort of out of the way and so you feel special just that you found that. But what you really, really, really have to get is the fireside dining. So this place is dartling. It's kind of like an old, I don't know, like brownstone feeling in Dumbo. But when you get the fireside dining, you go down to the basement and you're right next to this old, beautiful fireplace and you can have dinner down there and it's romantic and cozy and you can apologize for all the stupid things you've done and it looks like you've put so much thought into it and it actually matters. So that is my suggestion for something like that. Vinegar Hill House, go there, grovel, apologize, buy a nice bottle of wine, cozy up by the fire. It sounds perfect. It sounds great. Hopefully they forgive you. Hopefully someone forgives you. Just stop being an idiot. That's the answer to that. Uh, But if you can't, then you go to Vinegar Hill House. Okay, those are Rachel's recs. We had our announcement about the party March 1st. Bar Calico. Please, please, please come hang out with us. All are welcome. We'll see you for season three on March 1st. I can't believe it. Let's get into my guest today. This is a good one, folks. This was a personal suggestion by a friend of mine. He's a journalist. He is a historian. He has written several books, and he's also written probably for any publication or magazine you could ever think of. Please welcome to the show, Tony Perrote. Hi. Hi. <laughs> amazing. It's going to be amazing. Right. <laughs> I mean, how could it not be when we hear something like your biography, your pedigree? I oftentimes try to think of something to look up on people, get a little bit of their history, talk to them. Frankly, you know, your resume, I just was like, man, there's so much to choose from. We've got the Smithsonian. We've got Condé Nast. We've got the New York Times. We have all of your books you've written. Where should we start? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm just hanging out here in the East Village on 10th Street, uh, <laughs> just doing my thing. Um, I cranked out a few books, I guess six of them or something. Um, last one was on Cuba and I'm going to Havana uh, first thing tomorrow morning for the first time in three years. So I'm kind of excited about that. I didn't really think I would go back there for a while because I sort of thought I'd done everything that I could possibly do. But then I get this assignment from the Wall Street Journal and I'm like, okay. Yeah, Cuba. Wow, that's very interesting. And once again, we've got the Wall Street Journal. So just another one to put on the resume. Oh, and it 
also plays a little bit into your travel writing. There's so much of it, so many incredible articles. This is just a small one, but one I have to pick up on because my job is to make this very New York focused. You wrote this article recently for Condé Nast about New York City hotels being more glamorous than ever. And, you know, just to name a few, we had Nine Orchard, the new version of the Chelsea Hotel that is back, and then the new French hotel in Tribeca, Fouquet, if I'm pronouncing that right, Fouquet. That sounds right, yeah. Something like that. I think that the interesting thing, as a historian, I looked at you know, there's waves of, uh, of hotels coming through New York. There's like every generation has this sort of, there's like this new version of glamour. And I was going to parties at the Chelsea Hotel for wacky reasons. I'm friends with um, one of the residents, his name's Tony, and uh, he's lived there for maybe 25 years in this beautiful place that's decorated with these amazing sort of, you know, Italian religious icons. Every, every inch is painted. It's like this extraordinary place. And he would hold parties there. And um, during the pandemic, it was particularly cool because you would turn up there and they were doing the, still doing the renovations. So you'd go up there, there'd be the desk. And then the whole place is just covered in plastic and, <laughs> and dust, sawdust everywhere. It was like dangerous. It was just an extraordinary thing. So I guess in a way, the theme of the essay, or well, that became the sort of the, the climax of the essay. It's like there's all these glamorous new places, but there's also this sort of this, this bedrock of uh, Bohemia that never really died. It just keeps getting reinvented in various ways. And, and I love the new Chelsea Hotel, but it's like they redesigned it totally. And I don't know why. They actually knocked down, you know, they, you know, they literally knocked down most of the, the walls and recreated them. So you can't go to Bob Dylan's room. You can't go to Leonard Cohen's room where we had a, a blowjob from Janis Joplin. There was this incredibly stupid gesture by this corporate nut jobs and of course that's unfortunate a symbol of the dumbness is how they um they threw out all they got all the doors which were painted and whatever and they threw them out on the sidewalk and this guy you know one of the, one of the other residents saw this pile of like 150 doors and he just took them and um then he hung them up and auctioned them so smart and of course everyone wanted you know uh the one where dylan thomas died or the one where um patty smith and robert maplethorpe he made millions out of this, and the idiots who own the hotel <laughs> this is like, you know, lost out. Threw it on the street. But, I mean, this sort of sums up this, the, the craziness of New York at the moment. There's these corporate doofuses, and where it's like really the artists should be the ones who are, who are doing it. Because as my friend Tony said, you know, they shouldn't have changed a single doorknob in the whole place. But anyway, I, I, I stayed there, and it was like, it, it was very nice. It was super sweet. But I remember staying there and going like midnight, sort of going, oh, let's see what, you know, what's going on at Tony's place. And then knocking on the door and it was like, open it up. And there's this riotous party going on. And it's kind of like it goes till six in the morning or whatever. And I was like, oh, man. It's actually dangerous going in there because uh, one rarely staggers out in, uh, in good shape. So uh, <laughs> that was, um, it didn't, a lot of that didn't quite make it into the story. You know, you can talk about the Chelsea Hotel all night, but uh, we're not here to do that. We're here to talk about, um, me, talk about me. Let's talk about me. <laughs> You're saying like you being like these corporate people are idiots, and we were partying till eight a.m. Didn't make it somehow into the article. I love that. But kudos to that artist who found a way to be like, you know what? Screw you. I'm gonna grab all these doors and make a bunch of money. And that to me speaks ultimately of New Yorkers because we will always find a way. So good for yeah. him. You have all of this pedigree. You have this history. You've written all of these articles. You clearly know a lot of people in New York City and have a lot of great tales. So why don't we just get into some of our first questions and really do make it all about you. So <laughs> the first question is always, when did you move to New York City? Officially, uh, 1990. That's when I found an apartment on the back of the Village Voice. Wow. Uh, when there was a Village Voice and it was a physical thing. It was just like 
you know, an apartment in the East Village available. You know, it was like nothing exciting. But it was like a railroad apartment and right on 10th Street between 1st and 2nd. I was like, awesome. And he ended up getting a hold of the apartment and um, just hung on, really, because it's, it's just a great place to be based as a writer. Um, I ended up doing a series of books on South America, and I told them I could only possibly do this from uh, East Village in Manhattan. Uh, you know, and they, they were like, okay, sure, that makes sense. And so, uh, so you've been here for quite a long time, 1990. We've got 33 years on our hand. I mean, that's like... Oh, yeah, deep antiquity. This is like ancient history, yeah. <laughs> that's a long time. Time. No, I love it. It shows how much you love the city. So then I have to ask my second question of the show, which is why did you move to New York? You've been all over the place. We can tell obviously from your accent, you're originally from Australia. Is there something specifically besides it being incredible that brought you to New York City? Yeah, I mean, it was this sort of, uh, I mean, the energy and the sort of the unpredictability of the place. You can walk down the street here and someone might punch you in the nose or they might you know, offer you a million dollars. It's kind of like, you never know what's going to happen. It's like when you wake up. So I, I think that is very um, addictive. It's like ancient Rome. I once wrote an essay for the Village Voice, actually, about um, like, the similarities between New York and ancient Rome. And it's like the smartest, the best looking, the most charismatic, the most enthusiastic, whatever, you know, we actually descended on ancient Rome. Weirdly, it was sort of the, those who came from somewhere else. So I feel like there's, there's that sort of wide-eyed thing of when you arrive that you, you just sort of become addicted to it, this sort of rush of excitement. I just think that's very interesting about the parallels between Rome and New York. Of course, someone like you, who's such a historian, would find all of these ways to connect to this. And I do think that idea for people has been forever. We've talked about it. The reason to come to New York, it is the best of the best. It is the place to be. It is all the people coming from somewhere else to find who they are, to do all of their things. And I totally agree with you. And I think that is such a great connection. Actually, I would love to read that article if we can find it in the Village Voice. But considering all of this history you've had here of when you moved here and why you came and all these articles you've written and everything, I have to ask you the most important question of the show. And that is, Tony, what is the most fun you've ever had in New York? Why don't I talk about the, the first night? But I came to, to New York, you know, back in, it was, it was actually 1988, <gasps> just to give a bit of background. So I'd lived in South America, you know, I was working as a correspondent in South America, swung by London, and I ended up, um, I had no money, you know, and I was staying in a cold water sort of squat in some place called Kennington. And London was just depressing and miserable. It was like September, it was already, you know, starting to be cold and whatever. And um, and I'd hung around for a bit. So the other guys in the squat said, like, Tony, it's been great having you here, but it's time for you to fuck off. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Right, yeah. And I'm like, shit, where am I going to go? Someone had said, there's this really cheap to New York. I said, shit, where am I going to go? How am I going to go to New York? I knew nothing. I've never been to the States. And I was like, but, you know. And then I thought, I know one person who lives in New York. And I met her. She was an artist, bounced around Australia. She was American. But I met her in the jungles of Australia at a place called Cape Tribulation. And like, we sort of stayed in touch. And she was just this character. And she'd moved to New York. I guess on some level, I thought if she can survive there, it can't be you know, as bad as in the movies, you know, we're like, you know, Death Wish or whatever. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I called her up and it was an ex-boyfriend answering machine and I just left this message like, hey, I'm thinking about this New York. And then somehow the ex-boyfriend gave the, gave the message, she called up and she said, yeah, come on over. It was, she said she could crash at, I could crash at her place, which didn't, wasn't entirely true. It wasn't her place at all. But anyway, she, she said, yeah, come on over. <laughs> and so I bought this one-way ticket, you know, just hopped on a plane and then I, I got in there and you know, immigration and they were like particularly mean to me, you know, because I was like kind of dazed and whatever. And um, asked me if I had a credit card. And I was like, uh, no, but I had a debit card. And he looked at him and said, fine, welcome to America. And I was like, okay, this is a good, a good country. So I'd been given all these instructions on how to get into New York. And so I did get the bus to Penn Station. And of course, you're like, 
oh my god you know this is like chaos you know you're wandering around trying to find you know, you get the one line uptown i was terrified of getting on the subway to get up there because i've seen all these horrifying images of you know disasters happen there yeah i was standing there and, and this, this guy next to me said hey you want a hershey bar <laughs> points this sort of melted heart hershey bar at me and i'm like no <laughs> no no hershey bar no thank you thank you sir and I'm like, whatever. And then I get out on the, on the, I don't know, whatever this station is, 86th Street or something. And I'm like, convinced he's going to follow me and knife me. But he's like, no, no, I just wander off. So then I get up the <laughs> stairs and, um, and then some woman's walking towards me and she says, Tony. Oh my gosh. I'm like, it's Kathy. Oh my God. It's the woman who shares, she's the girlfriend of the guy I share an apartment with in Buenos Aires. What? So I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? And, and so, okay, so now I know two people. <laughs> In New York, I guess. And so I go to this apartment just to meet Sue. You know, I haven't seen in some years. You know, I've got my pack there. It's, it's okay, kind of like Upper West Side apartment. But it's, it's kind of glamorous. And I'm like, you know, obviously more money than an artist makes. And then um, in, in the course of the conversation, it becomes obvious that it's not her apartment at all. She's crashing on the floor there as well. And I'm like, oh, wow, is it okay if I stay? And then the door opens. And there's this guy in a three-piece suit. You know, he just sort of comes in and he just looks at, me and he looks at Sue and he looks at my pack and he says, This is not a fucking youth hostel. Oh. And I was like, Oh shit. Hi. He's really <laughs> pissed off. So anyway, we sit down and we try and have a conversation. And like he's obviously really pissed oh off. Oh my God. You've come all the way. This random dude is, you know, me has turned up and he's obviously trying to hit on Sue. And then um Sue comes up with this brilliant idea and says, uh, you know, Tony used to live in South America. You know, why don't you tell him some stories about South America? And this guy, I can't even remember his name is, but he looks at me and goes, huh, you do a lot of drugs in South America? <laughs> and I was like, wow, there was a lot going around. Yeah, actually. I start telling him sort of the silly stories about, you know, what a story is, because it's like, there's cocaine everywhere and it's like, whatever. And, and he loves all this. And so while I'm talking, he takes out a jade chess set and starts doing out cocaine lines. Oh, for us. my and it's like, God. Then, and he's like, now you can try some of the, and now I'm his best friend. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. And it's like, okay, we do a couple, do a couple of lines. And so, but then she says, hey, we're going to get to a party. Why don't we all go? And the dude, the lawyer is like, oh, no, too tired, not leaving, whatever, which is a great relief to both of us. So it's like, okay. He's tired after doing a few lines. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But anyway, so, so me and Sue go, and we're like, okay, awesome. We got away from this guy. So we, anyway, we go down to, now I know it's Chelsea, but I have no, no idea. My friend Brad was an artist who had this gutted top floor of this of a warehouse and there were these giant, you know, sculptures everywhere. And it's like, okay. And then all these people start turning up. This sort of party begins. And it's like, this is so awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's like all these people, they're super smart and they're super good looking. And there's like, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, this is fine. This is fine. And then they go, okay, we're going to get, let's go to, the tunnel this place called the tunnel oh my god i'm like i don't know what's that and it was like you know obviously you, you've heard of it as a legend yes this nightclub yeah. that was in a um disused subway tunnel it was just so weird and you, you can keep walking <laughs> down the subway and there's this flashing light but you can keep going it probably just gets devoured by rats or something but you could if you wanted to and then um the next night we end up going to another party and we end up crashing there as well and it's the same thing. It's everyone's so welcoming and so like, whatever. You're from Australia. Oh, my God. But weirdly, Paul Hogan had made this movie, Crocodile Dundee. And no one had ever met an actual Australian. So I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> so everyone was like super sweet to me. I wasn't English, which was a definite plus. So then we crash out again. And then it was like the third party. And it's like, I still haven't gone back to get my bag even. It was like, okay, we'll go to this party. 
Uh, this is an, a sculptor named Dick Barnett. You know, so we go down to his loft on Soho and Grand. You go upstairs and it's like, oh my God, these wooden creaking stairs. And the, this is nuts. You know, it's like, it's a real artist's loft. Yeah. You know, the, the smell of moist clay and this beautiful sort of uh, ambiance. And he's he's there kneading away on these sort of abstract sculptures that he does. And he's sort of, to me, he was slightly older with this white, this beard and wild eyes and glasses and sort of, you know, he's like, hi, hi, and, you know, washes his hands. And he bought this loft in, you know, for $10,000. It was huge. It was like a bowling alley. Anyway, so he wanted to go and his ritual was always to have, there's only one restaurant he ever went to in all, all of New York, just about. It was 13 Watt Street, this Chinese restaurant. And more people would join, all artists and characters, you know, that were floating around. And then this sort of quorum would go back to his place and the party would continue at his place. And he had a sort of a loft bed because it was hot. He just didn't want to sleep up there. And so Sue was like, okay, I'm gonna, someone's got to go back and get your bag. But why don't you stay here? And, I, and Dick says, yeah, stay here. Stay as long as you like. Stay as long as you like. And I'm like, okay, really? Yeah, yeah, stay a month, whatever. Well, is this some bizarre, you know, gay ploy? I don't know. You know, whatever. It's like, no. You know, I was like, okay, so I, I climb up to the loft. Sue goes off finally after three days to placate this lawyer. And then I wake up, you know, like pretty in the next morning. And I, you know, sort of go downstairs. And then Dick is there. He's got his models there. He's got these two naked girls posing there. And he's like working the clay. And these, these ravishing sort of creatures are there. And I'm there trying to make coffee. And they put on their robes and they come over and chat. And I say, oh, Tony, whatever. And it's like, hi. And I'm thinking, this isn't so bad. I can do this. This is not, you know, this is doable. <laughs> and so I'm like, um, and I still haven't, I haven't spent a cent, basically. And I'm still figuring <laughs> out at this stage, if, if you're an artist or a writer, or you can sort of like palm yourself off as that, everyone else will just pay for you. You, know, you go to openings where there's wine, free uh, the galleries or whatever. And it's like, stay wherever you want. It's like, New York is supposed to be like the most expensive city in the world. I haven't spent a cent. So I've got this sort of like, you know, very distorted view of things. And I'm like, uh, that was basically my entree into New York. And I do stay them up. And Dick's like, fine. And then I go off to, you know, I I finally have to go back to work in Buenos Aires and bounce around. But I keep coming back to New York. And he always just lets me stay. Each time I come. It becomes harder to leave until I finally figured, shit, I should actually move to New York. I should live in New York because then I won't have this feeling of, you know, when I'm leaving, of like I'm missing out. However, many years later, I'm still in the same apartment. This is. Sorry, I don't know. No, so fucking incredible. I'm like crying, laughing at you, realizing that you hadn't spent a single dollar. This is so good. I mean, I don't even know where to start on my response. So many things here, just like 80s New York, running into people you know, all the parties, essentially not sleeping for days, drugs, the artists, the neighborhoods, the I mean, this is just like, I don't, honestly, I don't even need to say anything because it's just so <laughs> fucking good i love this story so much i mean i'm just sitting here for like 20 minutes just like in awe hearing this and this is exactly why i started this podcast this is exactly what i want to hear this is the stuff i love and i guess if there's anything for me to say it's just i love that this is your first time coming here it's just I showed up. I met these famous artists. I had a free place to stay. I got free drugs. I had a fucking blast and I didn't spend a buck. Like, I love it so much. It's so good. I mean, in, in a sense, I've been trying to recapture the excitement. It also the, the delirious 
knowledge that I'm not going to die, you know, in New York. <laughs> I was like, you know, I might be just stabbed in the neck or something on the subway. Yeah. Once you realize you're actually going to survive, there's euphoria. I think a lot of people can relate to that, especially growing up at a certain point. It was like New York was so spooky and all this. And to just sort of like cross that hurdle and to just get here. And then it all is like, oh, wait a minute. This is actually so fun. And I can do this. I I love it. I love it so much. Energy, you know, is here. It's like, you know, you can walk out the door and it's like, Walking to the circus. Yeah. Like everything's going on. I love this story. I think it's so great. I think it's so fun. I think, you know, I, I, I shouldn't recommend stuff like this, but I do think people should go out and have nights like this. Like go out and stay out for two <laughs> nights in a row and never go to sleep and do a bunch of drugs with strangers. I mean, be safe, you know, do all those things. But like, yeah. this is, this is what we're here for. This is what New York is for. You have to test your cocaine these days. Yes. And they even hand those out at yes. places these days. But after that glorious story, which I absolutely love so much, thank you for sharing it. I have to ask you my final question of the show. And that is, what is your favorite thing about New York City? Oh, gosh. Surprises. But what I'm really talking about is a certain resilience. Because it's like, okay, there's this corporate thing that's going on that the rents are out of control. Things are closing. Everyone, everyone mourns all these things that are closing. And it is tragic. But then these other things, it sounds like mushrooms. You know, it's like you close one thing and then something else. Maybe it's like whack-a-mole. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> you, close, you close one bookstore and another one crops up. You close this and it moves a bit further out. There's, there's things like that going on all over the city and we don't even know about them. Just when you think, oh, God, I've been to everything, you know, whatever. And then, then suddenly there's like 10 more things that you've got to do. You know, people are just refusing to give up. That's such a great answer. The resilience. New Yorkers refuse to give up. I think the whack-a-mole uh, narrative is very good as well. And yeah, I think, you know, we saw a little bit of that these last few years. Just New Yorkers refuse to give up. And I think that is a beautiful answer. And I think that was a fucking incredible story. I'll say it again. Thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for being such a lifelong New Yorker and loving it here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, but most importantly, thanks New York. They had fun. I would not be in New York if it wasn't for Dick Barnett and his generosity. <laughs>